Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everyone. This is episode number 19 of Life in the Pit, and we're going to be talking about clarinet and saxophone today. And uh, before I introduce our guest, uh, let me just remind you, if, if you feel so inclined, uh, a five-star rating and review is really helpful. Also, sharing each episode uh, as you hear it and enjoy it. We just want as many people who are interested in this subject as possible to be able to hear it. Not a lot of news to share, uh, so this will be a fairly short introduction, but I just wanted to say how excited I am uh, not only for this episode today and uh, for some of the upcoming episodes, but I've had a really good couple of weeks of getting guests um, interviewed and recorded, and I have three more scheduled up uh, between the time this episode's releasing and the next week. So I'm getting a nice vault of recordings of just some very interesting guests and uh, from a lot of different angles that we're going to be able to discuss in the next several weeks, really leading, uh, getting all the way to the end of 2020. So uh, just some fun things coming up. And just as a reminder, these episodes release every Friday, once a week. So again, please make sure you're subscribed to wherever you get your podcasts. Last week on episode 18, I talked to Dr. Tika Douthat, and we talked about uh, him playing flutes. And I mentioned at the time that this was the first of a trilogy where I'm talking to one guest per woodwind family. And some of these guests play other woodwind family instruments, but I wanted to, f- to talk to someone who focused on the single reeds and on the double reeds and on the flutes. So today's episode marks the second in this series. Uh, today I'm going to be talking to Kania Mills. Uh, she plays clarinet and she plays saxophone, so the single reed family. Besides theater, Kania plays for a ton of organizations and also uh, teaches at several places too, and I'll just mention some of them. Uh, she's been uh, a sub or a regular performer at places such as the Western Piedmont Symphony, the Salisbury Symphony, um, the Piedmont Wind Symphony, Salem Band, where she is the concert master. Um, she's also played for uh, operas, and she's played for theater, and she teaches at Catawba College and Livingstone College, uh, both in North Carolina. So Kania Mills is a very accomplished musician, uh, as well as an educator. But Kania is also an African-American woman. Now, when I first asked her to be on this podcast, uh, I went over some of the questions that I would probably be asking, and it was pretty standard, uh, limited to music, limited to her experience, um, and and that was going to be the case. Uh, But just with so many events that have gone on in our world this year, uh, I also realized that she was the first African-American woman uh, that I have had on the show, and... Uh, I asked if she would be willing to speak about what what that's like in the world of classical music and theater music, and uh, she agreed to do that. So that's a conversation that will happen in the second half of this interview, and um, 
I learned quite a bit uh, just from listening to her, and I hope that maybe some of you will as well. It's an important conversation, uh, but in, uh, up until that point, uh, this is a fun interview. There's lots of funny moments, and here's my interview with Kania Mills. It's my pleasure to be talking to Kania today. How have things been going lately with COVID and everything? Um, it's been very interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, all gigs canceled. Um, no summer concerts, um, which was pretty depressing. But for me, it's actually a good thing. I actually ended up getting very sick this summer and needed to recover, actually. Hmm. It was probably best for me that things slowed down for me to get better. Um, uh, people that know me actually ended up in the hospital. So, but I'm doing much better now. Mm. And now when gigs start back up, I'm going to be ready. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to be ready. Right. Now, so, now your illness um, wasn't, it wasn't COVID related, was it? Or It was not COVID related. It was actually heart related. Oh, okay. Yes. So, um, I'm recovering from that now and, um, I'm much, much better, much better than I was. Right. So, I was driving around yesterday and the thought crossed my mind. One, there are some positives out of just not, not the mechanism, but just slowing down, shutting down, getting away. I, I just hate that it's still going on. You know, I wish yes. it could have been done yes. in a month, not half a year and with no end in sight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 2020 is like halfway over. Yeah, <laughs> We've been dealing with this. I know. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, how you got into music. What uh, what was the first instrument that you played, and how old were you? Uh, I was in fifth grade, actually. So what age did that put me? Around 10. <laughs> Around 10. <laughs> yeah. I might have been nine. I think all my friends were always older than me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was the youngin'. Right. Um, but, yes, uh, when, I, when I was starting music, and probably you as well, Music started for me in elementary school. Mm -hmm. um, I know they have elementary school music, but playing an actual instrument started in fifth grade. And I was in the middle of all the changes. So <laughs> sixth right. grade was still a part of elementary school. Mm -hmm. And um, I started in fifth grade on clarinet. Um, they had like a little paper that, you know, you had to choose what instrument you wanted to play. And with all honesty, I put saxophone first and they said, choose a secondary instrument of your choice. And I was like, Hmm, what is a clarinet? I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to check the box. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so the band director, um, at the time, uh, I guess he felt I would be better on clarinet. Mm -hmm. So, he said that that was the better option to go with. So my mom got a clarinet. Right. <laughs> they do like saxophone, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I but I, I've never told anybody this, but the first time that I saw a picture of a clarinet in elementary school, and uh, I think it was soon after, like in our school music class, we all got to learn. Have you ever heard of the flutophone? <laughs> you know, <what> <laughs> <laughs> the flutophone. 
it's, yeah. it's like a recorder sort of, but you know, it's a little wider. And, and when I saw, when I saw the clarinet, it looked like just a kind of a more expensive flutophone. So <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I had no idea what a reed was. I had no idea what the sound was. And then when finally someone said, this is the sound of a clarinet, it's like, you're kidding. <laughs> how can that, how can that sound how can it look like a flutophone and sound like that? But then once I got used to it, I started hearing clarinets everywhere and it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. So now, yeah. I'm, but it was, it was just so funny. It's like, I, I thought it was just a, it was related to the flutophone, but <laughs> no, I thought it was a really expensive recorder with buttons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you got to keep buying these, these little wood rectangles, you know, the, Right. <laughs> These reeds. Those are so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's expensive these days, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I have a lot of respect for people who play clarinet well. I, I, uh, I often tell people um, in my four years of undergrad school, of course, I took academic classes, but a lot of music classes. Uh, I made A's in every single music class except for two. The, the last one was an electronic music class where I just kind of checked out of because it was my senior recital coming up and I just had too much. And I, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to give it the attention. But in my freshman <laughs> year, I took clarinet methods and I got a B in that. So. <laughs> well, you did good then. Yeah, I never could. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was maybe I had one day ever that I didn't squeak more than three times or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> It's Squeaking a, is a part of clarinet playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have some recordings from some pretty good players, and and, you know, and it's just kind of funny. There's a random squeak in, in, in one of them. So, um, so you're part of kind of a trilogy of guests that I'm doing, and I'm not positive the order that I'll present them. Um, I, I talked to uh, Tika Douthat uh, about, Mostly playing flutes, and I, uh, I know that you play things besides clarinet, and we talked about saxophone. Um, are there mm -hmm. other instruments you picked up along the way? I do actually play flute as well, and speaking of Tika, he actually taught me oh, nice. <laughs> flute, yes, okay. so because I was horrible. I was horrible for a very long time, and for so many years, I'm like, I'm going to pick up this flute. I'm going to learn how to play this flute so I can get more gigs. Mm -hmm. Then I would pick it up, and I'm like, I'm going to put this back down now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but when I met him, I was like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I can do this. I can do this. I can play notes now. So I got much, much better um, to the point where I felt confident enough to say, okay, yes, I can do that, that read book to one or two now, you know, now oboe, absolutely not. Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so I stick to the three instruments, clarinets. I play all the clarinet family, all the saxophone family, and I stick the flute and pick. I don't really touch the other flutes, like alto flute or any of that. <laughs> right. Right. <Okay>. So <laughs> that's, well, I mean, and that's, that's it. That's all I play. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's quite a bit. I mean, there's five saxophones. There's a, uh, I feel like someone told me there's like seven clarinets. So I think, I feel like Brian Blauk might've told me that, but. Oh yes. Between, between probably Brian and another friend of mine, Ron. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, the number of instruments they have are amazing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Yes, there's there's a number of clarinets. I only own a B flat, A, E flat, and bass, 
which are the main ones that I play. Mm-hmm. Um, there is alto clarinet. Um, and then I think I've had a chance to play a basset, um, basset horn before that was at school of the arts, um, for an octet I was in. Yeah. Um, and then there's an A flat clarinet that they use in Europe, which is shorter than the E flat clarinet. Mm. And when I found that out, I was like, is that even possible to be even more shrill than the E flat clarinet? Right. <laughs> so, well, you know, sometimes was, in Eastern European music, you, you hear that like E flat sounds like E flat plus, maybe that's what they're playing. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's the, it's the, it's, the, it's really itty bitty. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I know I can go look this up after the interview. Um, you know, Bassett Horn is one of those I've heard that name a few times, but you know, I've never had to compose for it, so I've never really looked it up. What what is is it a single reed like a clarinet or is it? Uh, yes, it's like a little. It looks like a miniature bass clarinet, mm. kind of like the alto clarinet kind of looks, but it's in between the alto and the bass clarinet, and it has a really rich sound. It sounds wonderful and. We actually had to borrow them from UNCG. They actually had two. So when we did the octet, which was, it was, um, it was a Mozart. I don't remember which one because I've played too many, but right. <laughs> um, that we, we had to actually borrow from UNCG. They, they let us use them for that piece. Nice. So, but people do own them. You can buy them. It's just really hard to find. Hmm. Um, people that have them, I don't really even know if they really make them all like that. <laughs> so, right. and then a shout out to the most expensive but one of the coolest clarinets, the contrabass clarinet. <laughs> oh, that's fun! I had to play that for Salisbury Symphony once, and we were doing um, Stargate. I think it was Stargate SG One. Oh yeah, and my eyeballs were vibrating the entire time. <laughs> As I was in the low register. I'll say, as we were interviewing, I'm doing a little countdown on my composer page of just my all-time 100 favorite film scores. And uh, so by the time this interview comes out, it it will no longer be a spoiler. But my number three pick is Interview with a Vampire by Elliot Goldenthal. And that's the first time in a film score I heard a contrabass clarinet. And it's like it's in a... New Orleans cemetery and it's just like it just rumbles <laughs> right yeah. out of the queue. <laughs> and I heard that it's I was fun, like that's it's great. It's fun to play. It's fun to play, but you do you do um have a lot of eyeball vibration and you have to really focus on the music so you can see the notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cuz the notes just go like uh, and you're like, oh, I can't see that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what note is that? Because it's vibrating so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, contrabassoon's probably about in the same boat, but there's a yeah, there's a certain quality to contrabass clarinet. It's it's a, it's very rumbly. <laughs> it is very rumbly. It's fun. Um, so um, let's just talk about clarinet a little bit more. So you you started um in school and and just uh, how have you progressed along the way? I mean, I. I think most people I know at some point pick up a private teacher and uh, just curious when you got to that point and uh, just how, uh, how you progressed along the way. Uh, That was, that was a very interesting way how I ended up focusing on clarinet. I was actually, a lot of people don't know this, that met me as a musician. um, But a lot of my old friends 
know that I was a track runner, a swimmer, and a basketball player. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I was always in band. Like, that was never uh, a problem being in band. Um, And it was funny, my middle school coach was my band director and my track coach. (laughs) So, um, one year she... She, I, I had a, a friend that was a clarinet player in my class. And um, one day she was trying out for all county. And in middle school, I wasn't really focused on that. I was like basketball at track, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my band director wanted me to try out. And I was like, no, nah, not, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, she was like, okay, I just thought I might ask. I get to high school and I'm still in band. And by word of mouth, you know, we're kind of sitting in the same order. I was always second chair. You know, just kind of sitting in the same order, you know, with the new band director and um, my high school band director, uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Busser, who um, I went to uh, Butler high school in uh, Matthews or slash Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, he, he was also a clarinet player and, um, I always noticed that the clarinet players were really, really strong in the win ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always enjoyed band. I liked being in the band room. I was in the marching band. Um, and once again, every year, ninth grade year, 10th grade year, he's like, you need to do all district. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, I'm okay. And so um, when I, I had, I had knee trouble when I was doing track and actually I was a hurdler. And, um, I went to the doctor. He says, I need you to stop running or else you won't be able to walk by the time you're in your twenties. I said, Oh, okay. So I have bad knees (laughs) just in general. It's in my genetics. So my knees, I was not supposed to ever be jumping hurdles, but I was good at it, but I wasn't supposed to be doing it. So I stopped. And then I also had to stop playing basketball. I stopped swim team, everything, all the sports I had to quit. So um, my mom and my dad said, well, you know, you can always get scholarship doing music. Mm -hmm. But I I never stopped doing music. Actually, in 10th grade, even though I didn't do all district, I did the musical Mm -hmm. for the school. And then from then on, I did musicals uh, at the school and I enjoyed it. Um, very much so. (laughs) And, um, my 11th grade year, I started getting really serious about, you know, clarinet playing, got more into it. And of course, you know, I dabbled on saxophone quite a bit (laughs) just for fun. I used to, you know, play on my friend's saxophones back when it was safe to do that. It probably wasn't really safe to do that, but we did it anyway without thought. (laughs) There's a lot of things we won't do again. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Keep your slobber to yourself. Uh, (laughs) But um, yeah, uh, we did a lot. I was doing a lot with, you know, practicing more, really focusing. By then I was in the win ensemble and, um, I was going to do a U, a UNCC summer camp. Mm-hmm. But my mom wanted to put me in a UNCC summer camp because she knew I was getting serious. But they canceled the camp for the summer. So she was all sad. And mm. So she called the music department over there and 
they referred her to a teacher of woodwinds mm-hmm. and his name is Reese Manceau. That was actually my first teacher. Um, and he plays all of the woodwinds, which was always fascinating, but I think his main instrument is saxophone. Um, and he said that he was taking students that summer. So that is when I started taking private, private lessons. So that progression actually ended up being kind of odd for me because I always was a part of a band and marching band and doing the musicals. But I didn't even know that private lessons were a thing until 11th grade. So uh, that whole summer I took private lessons. And then, of course, he mentions all district. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And I'm just like, you know what? What is this all district thing? I might as well just go ahead and do it. And then my band director, of course, Mr. Pusser goes, well, you're not running track anymore, so you're doing all district. I said, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to do it. (laughs) And um, the first time I did it, I did get in. Got 15th chair, but I was very happy. Right. (laughs) Um, And then 12th grade year, tried out again. And that year I got fifth chair. Uh So I moved up because I practiced a lot. Right. So I saw how practicing could help you help your progress, you know, in your seating, as far as your seating in all district. Right. So I practiced so much. And I believe that my uh, teacher, Reese, actually came to the house that year. Mm-hmm. He was that serious about me doing even better, right. you know? Um, and also 12th grade year, I did a South Carolina band clinic. Mm-hmm. Now about this South Carolina band clinic, and this shows how things go in full circle. <laughs> the chair of the music department here was my band director for the band I was in there. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> Many years go by and I run into him again and I have a master's degree. So it's like, hey, you know, I had a pretty major progression into becoming a professional musician. And it took it took a minute for me to uh, understand. But when I started doing all district and going to these camps and even when I got into all district, I did Canon Music Camp two years in a row. Mm -hmm. And it was a eye-opening experience to know how many people were really going for this music career thing, you know? And I'm just like, hmm, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people a part of this. There are a ton of clarinet players, you know? Right. Because you only see your school when you're focused, when you're not focused on that kind of thing. So my focus completely shifted from sports to music. Mm Mm-hmm. But my mother always, and my mother and and my my stepdad, always listened to jazz. Mm-hmm. So jazz was always embedded in me. So I always loved music anyway. Right. Um, but as far as the classical world, like super classical world and pit musicians, you know, I always used to think that music was magic. Right. <laughs> like, well, where, it where, sort of is in a way. <laughs> have a lot of speakers for that to be really loud, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. But that's that was my progression um as far as becoming serious about music. 
Right. And then you, um, so you, and you took the college uh, with clarinet as your, as your main instrument. Is it a clarinet performance degree or is it just your main instrument for another degree? Uh, clarinet performance, um, clarinet uh, performance degree um, at uh, school, school of the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got to the school, it was North Carolina School of the Arts. So it was still kind of private. Right. Um, and then as I was there and started, into my master's degree, it became University of North Carolina School of the Arts. So that's when the name changed. So I graduated from the same school twice, but right. two different names. Right. But um, I pretty much stopped after the master's degree. I do want to pursue doctorate, but I'm still working on trying to, you know, find a place to get that from. Thinking right. really hard, <laughs> just trying to weigh my options. Um, mm. So. Um, but yes, I did graduate from School of the Arts with my bachelor's degree in 2003. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, 2008. Right. I, I went to the school starting in 2003, graduated in 2008. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay. <Yep. laughs> Blue for real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then and then um, I got my master's in 2010. Right. And I think I remember... Yeah, that's uh, that's when I first uh, heard of you because I because um, I've known Ron Ford for a long time and um, I had him hired <laughs> for my uh, for the premiere of my passion that I'd composed uh, at my church and I needed a clarinetist and I just asked him because back then I wasn't doing shows and I didn't I didn't really know many people and he and he said that uh, you were at school of the arts or you were either just about to graduate or you were. Very close because it was the spring of 2010, so you probably were in your last semester, and uh, he recommended you. So, and and that's probably about the only time we played together because I, yes, I just uh, you know I haven't hired a whole lot of clarinet book shows, you know, just in this area. I've, I've done like you know someone who can play all of the parts and 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 tend to kind of go to the top of the list for the ones that do all the families there. But um, I think I've done one or two shows where I got a clarinet book and I know I used Eileen Young um, first time. <laughs> That's my buddy. Well, let's, let's transition to theater. When did you uh, first do a show for theater? When did you first play for the pit? So is that professionally or, or just anytime, just... anytime you, the first time you got into a pit to play an instrument. So. Um, the first time I was in the pit was we is at my high school, actually. Mm-hmm. It was a, a pit. We made a pit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> With curtains and chairs. Oh, um, oh yeah. <laughs> but um, that was the first time uh, we did Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. That was my first show I ever did. And then I actually realized how many of my band member friends were really talented at singing. I'm like, I didn't know you could sing like that, you know? Right. <laughs> and our school was really big on musicals. Like, that was a big to-do deal, Um for the arts there and a lot of students joined and we would have to do a good few shows, you know, and the auditorium was always full and people were very supportive and I only played clarinet. He he would always split the books, you know, to give students more opportunity to play. Um, And I would always get the read book that had the biggest clarinet solos is like, I think my band director was trying to break me. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. like break the ice with me being shy right and by giving me all these humongous solos and i'm just like oh i'm exposed okay um <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know it's 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 a really nice luxury that a lot of schools have you know since you don't have to pay the people playing and you've got the space you can you can get more musicians in there instead of having to trim you know <laughs> from the actual yes. budget so did you did you play while you were at school of the arts did you play in the pit for any of the musicals i was always in the pit oh great <laughs> at school of the arts right um i did the musicals and especially the one year we did west side story um, about 129 times. Um, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> we did it a lot. Then we did the Ravinia Festival, went, did it again. Um, and I was the principal clarinet for Fletcher Opera for eight years. Mm, okay. So um, I did that. And then uh, after I graduated, um, I did a few musicals after I graduated because um, I guess the Clarinet studio was growing, um, but I I think a few times they called me, it was stretched a little thin. So I think they students may have had too many classes or too many credits or something. Mm-hmm. So they called me in. I think they called Ron in, <laughs> you know, right. for help. Um, and when I when I was actually going back and helping out with musicals after I graduated, I was actually doubling. Um, taking work on saxophone because you know school of the arts you kind of have to focus on one instrument right so um but i i used to sneak and take saxophone lessons for a saxophone teacher so <laughs> now when you play uh for pits at school of the arts I, i'm just curious this is just based on kind of hearsay but do you have to take your own initiative initiative to get that gig or are there certain teachers there that encourage that? And the reason I ask is because a lot of um, school, of the arts is, as you said, they really like you to focus. And sometimes like if you're singing and you're singing for opera, you know, they might want to, they might want to actually do musical theater, but it's like pulling teeth for them to be able to make that transition. And, you know, it's like I was there for film scoring and they pretty much said, you know, even though when I was at my undergraduate school in Jacksonville, um, you know, they said, you know, they're what their version of the applause office was, you know, they're uh, anytime someone wanted a piano student to go do a gig. You know, I was at top of the list, even though I was a composition student. But School of the Arts is like if they call for wanting someone to score a film, you'll be you'll be on the list. But if they want a pianist, we're going to our piano majors. And that's, it. you know, so everything is yeah. kind of focused. So I'm just curious, did you uh, how, how were you able to get those gigs? Was it hard for you or? Did you have did you have a specific teacher encouraging that? When I was there, I, I when I first got there, I actually studied with Robert Listokin. Mm-hmm. Um and Dan McKelway was my teacher for E flat clarinet. Um then after that they both left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I had Igor Bagelman um after that. And he showed me a different light as well. Right. But um he does pit he does pit work too but i believe at the time when bagelman got there i think joe mount was there still um so really um if you were a musician that was on the top of the i guess teachers list Mm -hmm. um you you were 
given gigs normally by Joe Mount. Um, he did a lot of the gig booking for the School of the Arts students at the time, and he probably did for many years. I don't, I don't know if he's still doing that there. He might, be. but that's really how we got gigs there. And you had to be pretty well known as, and and I guess I would say people have to trust you right. <laughs> to go out and do these gigs and not make right. them look bad, you know. Right. So I always did my best. Right. So. <laughs> And have you done a lot of theater since School of the Arts? Oh, yes. I I do a lot of pit work, and I do a lot of subbing for other pit musicians as well. Right. I, I know a lot of times for Wizard of Oz musical in um, Greensboro, I play musical chairs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so for the musical, we're playing musical chairs. Um, but um, I know one year I went from playing read book four, the next night I played read book three and the next night I played read book two. So, right. you know, um, that's one thing that was embedded into me very hard was sight reading. Okay. Right. So mm-hmm. when I say sight reading a t- entire musical, mm-hmm is probably not the most fun thing in the world, but it's it's fun to do if you've never played a musical, uh, that particular musical before, or you get the chance to kind of experience playing with other pit musicians or might not really see them probably ever again, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, but when you sub, you meet other people and make connections. So that's that's another thing about pit playing that's always exciting to me yeah i i just really hope that you know if there are music students out there that have listened to all these episodes in order is how many times you hear a guest like yourself talk about sight reading and the importance it it happens i I bet i don't go more than more than two episodes without someone talking about how important that skill is you know if you're going to succeed as a as a pit musician yes yes so, so actually, I mean, it sounds like you've gotten a lot of work, so this question might be moot, but without, um, without playing double reeds and, you know, kind of playing just the two flutes, have you found it difficult to, to get gigs in theater? Not really too hard, um, because there are a lot of reed books that, um, have a lot of clarinet saxophone doubling. Right now, granted, I might have to carry a lot of clarinets and a lot of saxophones. Right, <laughs> but I mean, um, one of the musicals, I think I had to play uh, E flat clarinet, B flat clarinet, A clarinet, and I had to play soprano, alto, and tenor and flute. Right, that was a lot of instruments to look. Right, <laughs> but you know, you take twenty trips, you'd be all right. But <laughs> but um, there are books that have just clarinet and saxophone in it um that are perfectly manageable for a lot of doublers um and if they need to triple it's it depends on which book it is so like mainly around like read book two or three there might not be a lot of flute but there's like enough flute normally read book one and two have a lot of flute parts and piccolo parts but once you get to read book three and four, and if there's a five, you get lower and lower and lower on the, on the instrumental spectrum, you know? Right. <laughs> so so it's like normally you can do read book three through five right? if you are um, just a clarinet player or a saxophone player. Uh, it's harder to get read book one and two. Right. 
So, um, because normally they're going to give those books to the strongest flute players uh-huh. that they know um, that can handle the part or the strongest um, multi woodwinds like that play oboe, bassoon, clarinet, saxophone, and flute, you know, like right. Ron does and um, like Taiki does. Right. So, um, they're, they're, they're and, and Brian does too. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of musicians that are able to play those oboe and flute parts. The only thing that stops me is the oboe. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's when I come to a screeching halt, like, oh, you might want to find somebody else. And not right. unless you want me to transpose that to clarinet. I can transpose right. it, play it on clarinet. And <laughs> so. in, in some areas, like, uh, you know, that it would be way smaller than the triad, when they do shows like that, that's what happens. So you, you, yes, you and I have had to do that. Yes, right. I have had to do that when I'm subbing for someone and they're, I'm the absolute... I am absolutely the only person that they can find a sub right. that they were trying to avoid because there's oboe in the book, and I'm just like, I'll just transpose it, which is another difficult thing for clarinets. Like that, don't they don't realize that not only do you have to be able to sight read, but you need to be able to transpose while sight reading. <laughs> right now, there's so, a lot of clarinet keys. I don't think that, there's not a C clarinet though, is there? There is a C clarinet. Oh, there is. Okay. But a lot of people don't <clears throat> own that. Right. Um, you can find you a plastic C clarinet for fairly cheap. Right. I think one of my friends has one. Um, you can get a C clarinet, but mostly those are used in operas for people that are a part, clarinet players that are a part of an opera mm. company and they play operas all the time. And that's because they, there are a lot of parts in C. Right. And so they don't if if the if the conductor is okay with you playing on a C clarinet, it's a little bit brighter in sound quality. But um I remember Jamie Albritton, I tried to cheat one time and use a C clarinet and he was like, uh, it's really shrill. I don't like that. Just play it on B flat. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I tried. I tried to cheat. I guess not. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at some of the things that you've done in music. Um, you know that that you that you list on Facebook, and you talk about you played for Salem <laughs> Band and um, and some other wind ensembles. But what's what's jumped out at me is that uh, you are called the concert master, and that's on clarinet. Yeah. And I hadn't been. I haven't played for a band. I guess it's been like regularly since for 23 years now. And, and I forgot in band, the first clarinet is the concert master. So um, what is, is that just a title or are there extra duties that come along with that? There are extra duties um, that do come along with that title. Um, actually, the first time I was called the concert master <laughs> was mm-hmm. at school of the arts under the direction of Mark Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, have to pretty much do exactly what the first violinist does. I have to tune the band. Um, I have to relay any important messages to the conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's any complaints, uh, I let that be known. Um, but mainly the concert master does exactly what the first violinist would do in an orchestra. And uh, so depending on how the conductor wants that to work, uh, we normally don't do the whole standing and (laughs) tuning thing. Um, Not for Salem Band. I normally tune um, everybody separately in Salem Band. I have my tuner on my phone 
which is a new thing now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where we, you know, we used to have our little, right. little small black tuners with the wait for the light to turn green. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have a, a smiley face app. Right. tuner and uh if you're in tune you're green so i'd normally tell members to look at the phone and if they see the smiley face they're good <laughs> that's good <laughs> and if they're if they're not good it's like hmm, i don't really know about that has the thinking right. face so um but uh yes that that's that's pretty much the name that you do get right. if you're the first chair clarinet player yeah i was just so. thinking uh in an orchestra one of the big duties of a concert master, at least uh, as far as I understand, is that they have to take all the music for an upcoming concert and write in the bowings, you know, so that everyone looks the same when they're doing the downs and ups, you know, and all that. Uh, so this uniform, but, you know, clarinet really doesn't have an equivalent. I mean, there's like, there's one or two fingerings you can use and no one's, nobody in the audience. I don't even think probably even clarinetists aren't watching. <laughs> going, hey, they're not doing the same fingerings. <laughs> No, um, I think the only time I've really had a problem and I've tried, uh, it was a piece and I I think it was a Christmas piece actually. And everybody was on a throat tone, a Mm. (laughs) just holding it out for like Mm. forever. And we were supposed to stagger breathe. And I was trying to get the tone more uniform if that, makes any sense because it was like different a's all over the place and i was like "Mm." (laughs) so and then i noticed that um some people were using one finger for the a and then people that were a little bit more advanced because it's community band you know they were using the side key a and then some people were holding down extra fingers to open it up more so it was just a whole bunch of different tones right um so there are sometimes fingering suggestions but really when a clarinet um concert master is um it's more the clarinet section that they can really say that to i can't really tell a tuba player use this fingering you know i don't know (laughs) (laughs) push some buttons and call it a day but um (laughs) uh we do that just for our section and um pretty much in you know bands there's section leaders Right. That kind of take over their section. All right. So this is a, this is a topic that I asked you in advance about um, discussing. So, you know, this is a this is a show about theater musicians and not just the music, but also this just the lives and things that go that go with that. So while we're not going to talk about like a general platform, I definitely want to talk to about things as they relate to people. So. Uh, you're an African American woman, and I just wanted to just give you a uh, time to just share uh, as a platform. Uh, what is that like being a classical musician and being an African American woman? It, it's kind of tricky uh, right. because I have been in situations where people assume that I don't know as much. Mm. Um. It's kind of a put down in a way. Right. Um, I have been in those situations. You kind of get judged a little bit before you even put the horn in your mouth. Right. You can feel it. Um, it's it's not that anybody says anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have gotten weird comments like, 
oh, you play really well. And I'm like, well, what did you think I was supposed to sound like? <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> or I wasn't expecting you to sound like that. Well, what does that mean? You know, right. and it's, it's, it's like they assume you don't know as much as, say, a Caucasian male or, you know, this, uh, this woman over here who, they know solidly who is a Caucasian woman. You pretty much are already put in a hole of not being able to play well and no, haven't even been heard yet. So for me, it, it was a lot of work to get people to know my name, right. uh, to network and to play as much as possible for people to get to know who I am. So I'm not judge when I walk in. I right. always wanted to, I had that work at the ethic of I'm going to be so good to the point that when people hear my name, they're going to know exactly who I am right. and how I play. So when I walk through the door, they're not surprised. Right. And, uh, I mean, that's not even just being a pit musician, right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's going into tur- churches and performing and, I didn't know you were going to sound like that. What was I supposed to sound like? Like right. I play the clarinet. Like was I supposed to sound bad? You know. And it's mm-hmm. like you don't you don't want to take it in a in a way that maybe they're really they really weren't expecting that. You know. Right. Uh, uh, or you know, you don't know if they're really being rude or <laughs> right. If if they're just really shocked, you know. Like maybe they've never heard a clarinet before or are right. you being mean to me? You know, like, and so I've never been one to jump the gun and be like, what do you mean? You know, uh, I just kind of say, uh, thank you. And then I walk away, you know, cause I don't want to put off like a weird vibe, <laughs> but right. it kind of puts you in a weird moment that you're being judged and you have to play everything so perfect to the point that they might think about calling you back, you know? I wonder Um, if there isn't a bit of subconscious stereotyping um, of just that it's you playing classical music. Like if you were playing, I don't know, blues, you know, or something that's a stereotype, you know, they probably wouldn't get that response, but because you're playing classical or, you know, you're playing that style that everyone else is and you're playing it at a high level. Um, you know, yes, I, I wonder yes. how much of that is just just subconscious biasing or unconscious. Well, they, I, they call it unconscious. I think it's subconscious, but <laughs> we'll talk to uh, you know talk to psychologists about that. But yeah, I just wonder if that's just a profiling. That's what I was talking about. Just if that's what's going on. But yes, and um, I mean, I've um, I've been in situations in pits where, because I mean, I've played in so many. I've <laughs> been in situations where I could be playing my part correctly. Mm-hmm. Someone beside me plays something wrong, but because the person beside me is not of color, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they assume it's me. And I'm like, why is it me? Like, and then I'll play right. my part separately because they ask. And then, you know, it's just like, why do, why do I have to be called out? Why does right. it have to be me that's wrong? And then they'll realize that the other person's wrong and then apologize later. Yeah, but you've already embarrassed me in front Mm. of everybody else in the pit. 
and it wasn't even me. You know, right. I've been in many situations like that. You know, like they just assume that it is the African American girl, which a lot of us know you do not see. Right. Not in not on the same levels. Like it takes a lot of work for us to get on the levels that we are on because we're judged, because we're automatically put down. And actually, I feel like African-American males have it a little bit easier than we do. Right. They're a little bit more accepted than we are, but Mm -hmm. still they're judged. Right. You know, but they assume somewhat that something good is going to come out, you know, especially if you're playing a musical that has like a lot of jazz and some musicals have like this section of improv and they, they expect they expect us to do that, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, but it's just, it it is frustrating, but I, the only reason why I ignore it to a certain extent is because I enjoy the music. Right. I enjoy performing and I know my friends, you know, that are white, like you Mm -hmm. and other, other friends that I have, they, y'all don't see me that way. Right. So it's like, you know, I try to stay within the group of people that know me, you know. Right. But um, if I do branch out, you do get that judgment. Right. Especially if they don't, you're, you're not in those people's circle, right. you know. Um, And then when you play in musical theater, like last year when it, uh, we did, um, the Black Rep did Jelly's Last Jam. Mm-hmm. I was probably the most comfortable because... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't being judged. Right. You know, we, we all assume that we're all good, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you're not judged that way. Now, people might listen to you and be like, oh, well, this person I played with last time sounded better or this person sounds better than that person, you know, that we played with last time. But you're not judged in a way where people just assume you can't play or assume you're not as good, right. you know. It's it's a different kind of judgment, you know. <laughs> like, right? Okay, they 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 played that part pretty well, or oh, they sound good, you know. Um, but they let you play first before they judge you, you know. Right. So, um, but I mean, it it just depends on also the area you're in, right? Uh, the type of crowd you have, as you know, you have people come look in the pit. I've had people come look in the pit and stare at me weird. Mm. Because I'm the only one down there, right? You know, <laughs> the only African American in the pit, so they're just like, "Huh, there's an African American girl. Right. Wonder what she's playing." And they stare and they look really hard and they try to see all the instruments I'm playing, you know. And I'm just like, "Oh, go away," you know. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to warm up here, you know. <laughs> right. And so, you know, uh, at first that was frustrating when I started branching out, but then I started kind of waving at people, you know, just kind of accepting that that's just going to happen, you know, just as long as you're not mean to me or say any cruel words, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Right. Or, or, you know, but yeah, there's a lots of different experiences that come with being an African-American female Mm -hmm. and playing classical music and being in pits and orchestras and being a concert master of a band, which is something that, a lot of people don't see often, you know. So when Eileen, who I do play for, <laughs> right. you know, um, when she does mention me as concert master, it's almost like you see the crowd talking to each other. Mm. 
yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it's okay. You know, I know they're going to do that. Right. But it's like, oh my goodness, an African-American female's concert master of a band that's been around since 1771. Right. Right. And I know that I'm the first one. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so... Um, it, it, I'm going to get those looks and the whispering and the talking. Right. So, and especially if I play anything that's a solo in front of the band or anything like that, you know, you're automatically judged. Now I played it in front of a lot of orchestras and a lot of bands mm-hmm. <laughs> as a soloist. And I get that confused look all the time, you know, right. and it's like, it's just classical music, everyone. Like, right. it's not that big of a deal. Not to me. So, I, I wonder if maybe there, there's not a lot of positives to be gained out of just this aspect of our society, but I wonder if it might be a small positive that you facing that pressure all the time of having to prove yourself, you know, like, cause a lot of people, like if I played in an orchestra, I would, I would just be kind of like, Ooh, I hope I don't mess up the solo, but you're thinking about that all the time. I was like, I want to show you how good that I am. And, yes. and you don't, and you don't feel that maybe is intensive a pressure for a specific moment. And so maybe that, that helps you be a, a stronger performer because of the work that you put into it. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but thank you for sharing. Uh, you know, I, I think our listeners didn't need to hear it. I know that I need to, to be reminded of things like this. Cause you know, I was just trying to do my mental checklist. It's like, um, you know, I, I haven't conducted, you, you know, a lot of people, on a regular basis, you know, but, you know, it just helps me go through my checklist, you know, am I treating everyone uh, fairly, you know, and I just think, you know, I think that's what we all need to do in the situation is just, uh, you know, kind of check in what are, what are our unconscious biases, you know, that come into play. So thank you for sharing those experiences. Oh, no problem. Um, What's a fond memory from a show that you, that you would like to share? A fun memory, I would actually probably say when I did Jelly's Last Gym, um, that is probably the highest up on a stage that I've ever set. Uh. <laughs> um, we were a part of part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really liked the lighting and how how that show worked out as far as us being seen. Mm-hmm. That was, um, there's very few shows that do that. Um, there's, I think there's one other show that I was on the stage as well, but I always like it when the musicians are a part of the show. Right. And, um, even though we're, uh, playing, you know, we're, in, we're supposed to be in the background, but <laughs> right. you can see us. And I, I thought that was really neat, um, uh, experience, being on such a high platform, thank goodness it's sturdy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember another time where we were doing a musical. I know what it was. It was cabaret. Mm-hmm. It was cabaret. Oh yeah. And uh, I mean, it was stable-ish up there. Right. I was a little worried, but it was fun. It was fun. But those that that was really good. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna forever remember that that particular musical right great um so are there any uh like special projects outside of theater that you're doing uh, at the moment as we and we didn't really even talk about what you do 
uh, in academics, but uh, are there any special projects going on? Uh, yes, um, actually, um, you said you spoke with Dr. Tika Douthit. Yes. Um, we are in a group ourselves okay. that we just recently started, and um, we're called the Doppler Effect. Okay. Um, a our pianist, uh, Laura Willard, is our um, she is also a part of our group, and she does. I think she does pit stuff as well. Um, okay. We all do, uh, but. Basically, what I've done, and it was a really nerdy thing okay. that I came up with the group name, but I had I always wanted to play duets with uh, Dr. Douthit, and we're best friends. Of mm-hmm. course, everybody that knows us knows that we're best friends, right? Uh, <laughs> um, and I I had an I always had a love for Franz Doppler, mm-hmm. the composer. I, I just always thought his flute duets were really, really good. Right. And um, I play flute, but I don't play flute like that. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we're not going to go the virtuosic type flute player right. because that's not what I do. I will play in a musical pit, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but I took the second um, flute part and wrote the flute parts for clarinet. And I did that for four of them so far right we have not performed all four of them yet because we're still working on them but we did perform one on a recital i gave um i think two years ago now okay i was supposed to give we were supposed to do another one on a recital this past year but we all know what happened with that okay (laughs) covid happened (laughs) um so we didn't get to perform that one um uh, due to covid but we're hoping that it will change this coming year so um, he and I can perform that together. Right. It is the Rigoletto mm-hmm. uh, by Franz Doppler for two flutes. Um, so we were working on that, and um, we're trying to work on a Facebook page as well so people can start to follow us there and support us. But, yes, we are called the Doppler Effect, and the reason why I called it that is because we all know that the Doppler effect has to do with sound. Right. And so, because the composer's name is Franz Doppler, right? I said, well, why not name it the Doppler effect? And then I did the whole do do But then it actually re- ended up being our name for real. So right. um, we, we are working on that. And um, hopefully soon we can, within this, what's left of this year, we can try to record maybe uh, re-record two of them that we've already performed and then get the other two in by the end of the year. That's the hope. Okay. So So, now just to um, clarify the Doppler effect, is that the name of the prod, the project, like the concert series or album or would it, or or is that the the name of the group that should that, Oh, that's the name of the group. That's the group name. Okay. Yes. All right. So So, if conceivably at some point you might play, things that are not Doppler, but you're still the Doppler effect. So. Yeah, we're still the Doppler effect because <laughs> nice. we, we might play anything between jazz. Oh, I mean, yeah. we also do a lot of jazz to, together. And so um, we, we, we do a lot of different things, but the main focus is that no matter where you see us perform, you're going to hear a Doppler piece right within the performance. Nice. So, I mean, we might do Muchinsky. We might, mm. you know, um, 
do some bronze, you know, anything together. Right. But you're going to hear a Doppler uh, duet in there somewhere. Wow. Now, Robert Muchinsky is a name that I don't hear often in casual conversation. He he wrote he wrote six preludes for piano, and I had to do like an honorary project for my undergrad degree. I was nominated for uh, I guess I guess it was to get a degree with distinction or something like that. I don't remember, but I chose to analyze his six preludes for piano and then perform them as a lecture recital. So <laughs> it was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know my favorite one of my favorite pieces he wrote for clarinet is time pieces. Oh, yeah. so I, I actually performed that quite a bit. And okay. then um, there is a really really interesting duet for clarinet and flute. <laughs> right. So, um, but I've always been a fan of Muchinsky and just you know atonal music in general. Right. I'm I'm, I'm a real atonal fan. Right. For me, it comes and goes in waves. Like I've been really into it lately, but you know, then sometimes I uh, need a break. (laughs) I mean, it does hurt your brain. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, there's so many more things that we, we could have talked about and, uh, but I thought this was a very good conversation. So, uh, last question, where can people, you know, we'll, I'll have everyone look for the Doppler effect. If you see that on Facebook, follow it, you know, or Instagram or wherever. But, uh, aside from that, where can people follow you and what you're doing? Um, I am on Facebook. Um, some people have weird names on Facebook, but my name is my name, Kania Mills okay. on Facebook. Right. Uh, there's not a lot of people with my name. So pretty much when you type me in, I'm the first person that pops up. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I do have Instagram. It's called Woodwind Crazy. Okay. <laughs> so if you look me up on Instagram, you can follow me there as well. Um, and again, that's Woodwind Crazy. It's all one word. Right. <laughs> all together. So, um, but those are really the only two social medias I do. I don't see the point in having multiple ones because I get confused. Right. <laughs> I'm right. kind of old school. Two is enough. Well, and <laughs> if you got Instagram, you pretty much have everything else. It's like they just released a feature today called Reels, uh, which is their version of TikTok. <laughs> oh, no. And, and, you know, when they came out with stories, that was their version of Inst- uh, Snapchat. So, you know, just... Just wait long enough; they'll copy everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, as long Um, as your crowd isn't like you know, you're not seeking the school age crowd. You're you're good to go. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. Again, uh, thank you for taking the time, and um, just appreciated our conversation today. Well, it's nice seeing you and talking to you, and hopefully get to play something soon. Yeah. Hopefully, we can all do that. But you have a good rest of your week. And that completes episode number 19. Um, I hope you found it entertaining and informative. I certainly did when I was uh, listening to it and editing it. And, um, and just, again, thank you all for taking the time to listen, especially if you've, you've made it this far. Um, it's hard to believe next week will be episode number 20. And I'll be talking to Matthew Covington, and um, we'll be talking about double reads. And I look forward to bringing that episode to you next week. As always, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music. 
and Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, I want to give a special thank you to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for being the voice that provides the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. And you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast, where you can also use the contact feature to leave me a message. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you.